We're starting now into chapter 11 of the book of Matthew. If you have a Bible or a device with a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you need a Bible, uh, it is no shame to get up and grab a Bible over there. Um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. So let's read starting in verse 1. So when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. God, help us to receive your word as you intended it, to understand it, God, with the meaning that you put there. God, help us to be open to your teaching this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, we're coming out of chapter 10, right? Chapter 10 was Jesus calling his 12 together for the first time, and he's preparing them, teaching them. He's going to send them out on a mission to go to all the different cities there of Israel, cities and towns. And to do what he had already been doing. He empowered them to heal the sick, to raise the dead, cast out demons. And, and they were going to go out on this mission trip. And then we had, went through his teaching to his 12 disciples ahead of the sending them out. And so now, verse 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12, chapter 10, uh, he went on from there to teach and preach in their, in, in their city. So he continued with his mission, what he was doing. But he had sent out the 12. Um, and then in verse 2, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Who's, who's the John he's talking about? This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist who was in prison. Herod had imprisoned him because John the Baptist has said, uh, you're not supposed to have your brother's wife. He'd, he'd taken his brother Philip's wife. And John the Baptist said, that's not lawful for you to do that. And so he imprisoned him. He wanted to kill him, but he was afraid because people said, oh, John the Baptist is a prophet. He, would, you know, he, he was ruling there in that area of Galilee. Things would not have gone well for him if he had gone and just killed a prophet. Um, for only that reason. And so there John is in prison. And he hears about what Jesus is doing. And he has a question in his mind. Well, John, his whole life was for Jesus. So it's a little alarming, this question that he's asking. Are you the one? Because... John the Baptist, he was born, uh, no, before he was born, while he was in the womb, the Spirit 
what was in him. If you have any question that a person is a person even before they're born, there it is. At six months pregnant, the Spirit of God was there within um, John the Baptist. And when, and when Mary, you know, his, his mo- mother was Elizabeth, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, came to visit, it says, he leaped in her womb in the presence of Mary, the, the mother of Jesus. He was full of the Spirit even before he was born. And, and then his whole life was set apart to make, the way, to make way for Jesus, right? When the, um, in the wilderness, uh, people were going out to this strange guy out there who was teaching this message of baptism. And so the Pharisees sent out some priests and, and others to say, go, go ask him, who, who is he? Because they, they were expecting from the Old Testament. They had some ideas. They didn't understand it, right? But, you know, there's supposed to be this, this prophet, kind of like Moses coming, and, and, or the Elijah, or, or, or is it the Christ? Who, who is this? And he said, no, that's not me. Here's who I am. I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness that's making way for the Lord. He was quoting from Isaiah. Here's who I am. It's prophesied I would be the one making way for the Lord. And what is that? In in that time, kings would have someone go ahead of them uh, and and remove rocks and make high places low and smooth the way so that when they came through, it would be a smooth, fat path for that king. He's saying... I am that servant for the Lord. I'm coming ahead of Him. And, and it wasn't to make physical paths smooth. It was to turn the hearts of Israel to God before Jesus was coming. He was preparing the way within the hearts of Israel for the Lord who was coming after Him. And, he, and John, we saw him, he, he baptized Jesus. And, and he would tell his disciples, you know, there's the one, he's coming. I don't, I'm not even worthy of carrying his sandals. We read that at the beginning of Matthew. And, and his disciples were, were complaining, why are more people going to Jesus? We're not, we don't have the corner market on disciples anymore. There, there's more that want to get baptized with Jesus than with us. And he says, no, he must increase and I must decrease. This was John the Baptist, his whole life set apart to make way, to point to Jesus. And, but now here, he's in prison. And there's a question in his mind. He's hearing, okay, now here's the works of Jesus. When John the Baptist's ministry ended, Jesus' ministry began. And John the Baptist is, is hearing what's happening, and it doesn't add up to what he was expecting. What, what is going on here? This isn't what I saw the Christ coming. What was it that John was expecting? What was he looking for in the Christ that was to come after him? Look in, back in chapter 3 of Matthew, which we covered uh, some long time ago. Chapter 3, verse 11, when he was baptizing, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff 
He will burn with unquenchable fire. Everything he spoke was true about Jesus. Bringing uh, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the winnowing fork, what is that? that that's what was used to throw the, the chaff, uh, to throw the, the grain in the air to separate the chaff from the wheat. Right? And it's a picture of what, what Jesus ultimately would be doing. That judgment of separating the righteous from the unrighteous. And bringing about judgment, right? The day of judgment of the Lord. The vengeance of the Lord. That's, that's what John's looking at. Here is the Messiah, the Christ. He's coming and He is going to rule and reign and He is going to have an outpouring in the Holy Spirit and He is going to judge. But what does He see? Jesus going around, speaking through parables, kind of a, a hidden message of what the kingdom of heaven was going to be, and healing people, casting out demons. This wasn't the coming, reigning king that he had pictured in his head. And the same issue that the, the Jews as a whole had, they, they were looking at. The Messiah was going to come and free them from Rome. He was going to come and He was going to conquer. And He was going to separate those who were evil from those who were good. And in their minds, those who were good are the Jews and those who are evil as every other nation and every other people. John had a picture in his head of what Christ was supposed to be doing. And it didn't match and so he's asking the question, are you the one? Or should we be looking for another? Perhaps you're asking a similar question. Is Jesus the one? I'm not going to assume that everybody has bought in that Jesus is the one. I asked uh, Joseph and Ramona, can we leave those up one more week? It's the places in the world where there's the most persecution right now for Christians. But if you look, it shows the different religions that are there. The, the one that's by far spread across them is, the, is Islam. Is Muhammad the one? Buddha? I, if, if I go into downtown Austin and I start asking people, who, who's the one I should follow? There's all these different religions. What should I do? I'm going to get a lot of different answers. It's not such a clear answer from people to say, no, the one that, that is the one that you need to follow is, is Jesus. He's the one that you're looking for. And, and what people are looking for is all over the place. Maybe the, the one is just, I need to look into myself. I, I'm going to carry this. Whatever it is that I need, I, I'm, I'm looking to myself now. Or maybe like John the Baptist, you're, you're bought in. No, Jesus, I, it's all about Jesus, but what you see him doing around you. These past couple of years, what, what, what he's doing in the world, what he's doing in your life, what he's doing in your family. Like, is this, Jesus, are you even at work here? Is this what you're doing? Or, or maybe I'm, I need to look to someone else to act here. Maybe without even thinking about it, that's what we've been doing. We're, 
We're not really looking to Christ anymore as the one who is going to act in each of these situations in our life that are very real and very personal and, and we're concerned about. It didn't look right to John. Jesus, are you the one? Here's our first point this morning. Jesus is the one. <laughs> he is. In every respect. <laughs> well, I wish I could dive into every area where we get this wrong. He's the one. Look at Jesus' answer <laughs> to John the Baptist's disciples. Go back and tell John. Verse 4. Jesus answered them, Go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. I've heard biographies, stories of people who had sight and lost sight. Um, in my own imagination, the idea of not being able to see anymore, and just especially for it to be complete darkness, is it's kind of a scary thought. And there's a, there's a lot of incredible technology and tools. That, you know, there was a, a developer at a developer conference. That I used to be a software developer. A blind software developer. He had these cool devices and what he could do, right? And, and, and like a computer that had this live Braille going on. He's, I said, how can you be a software developer? You can't see. But it's amazing the things that we, that we have. But, but what was happening when Jesus was, was here on this earth walking around and he would meet someone who was blind? He'd give them their sight. Jesus is the one who brings sight to the blind. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. My grandfather was World War II bomber pilot. Shortly after the war, he got polio for all that I was growing up, knew him, he was on crutches. Couldn't really use his legs. What happened when Jesus met someone as he was walking around who was lame, who couldn't walk? He just spoke. He touched them. And they could walk. That's Jesus. Jesus is the one who, when he would meet someone who was lame, would cause them to be able to walk again. It says lepers are cleansed. You know, we've had kind of this, this ex new experience with COVID of kind of the social part of that. Oh, you got COVID. It, stay in your house. It, don't come near anybody, right? Well, well leprosy, especially at that time, was, it was a hundred times, a thousand times worse than that, Right? You were, you were outcast permanently 
you had to, to call out, unclean, unclean, if anyone came near you. And, and there, there was also a connotation of uncleanness, of, of a sinfulness, that no, you're unclean, not just in, in a disease, but, but before God, unable to worship, unable to approach God because of your uncleanness. And what would Jesus do? I can imagine if Jesus was walking around during the middle of the craziness of COVID, he would be going from house to house because he would reach out and he would touch lepers. He would say, well, that house has COVID. I'm going. And he would go right in. And what would happen is he would, he would lay his hands on the family and there would be no COVID left. They would be perfectly healed. That was what Jesus would do. Jesus is the one. He said, he would cleanse lepers, make the deaf hear. Every month we go down to Blue Bonnet Baptist where all the pastors in, in this area gather together for lunch and some teaching. And it's great. They have a, a table with an interpreter for a group that, of deaf folks and, and our brothers and sisters that aren't able to speak and they do sign language interpretation and it's, it's great. What did Jesus do? When he would meet the deaf, he would restore their hearing. Then the dead are raised up. Think about that. Have you ever been to a funeral where they have a viewing? It's just a shell. It's not the person anymore. To think as Jesus went through the towns, as he would meet the funerals, he was raising the dead. Jesus is the one in every respect. He says, and the poor have good news preached to them. And that, that's what we've been seeing already, but that right there, the way he said it, if nothing else he's said already isn't going to be an indicator to John the Baptist, that right there. John, who knows the book of Isaiah, I'm sure he knew many books. He, he came from a line uh, of a priesthood, right? He, his father was a priest. He knew the books of the Bible. And right there, to say that the poor have good news preached to them should have lit up, go to Isaiah. Even if you don't have it with you there in the prison cell, you know it. See, John referenced the book of Isaiah when he said, here's who I am. I'm the voice who cries in the wilderness. Jesus also, early on, at the very beginning of his ministry, went to Isaiah to say, here's who I am. Well, Isaiah is an incredible book. Um, if you're not familiar with what Isaiah is, it was written by the prophet Isaiah about 700 years before this time of Christ, right? And, and many try to say, well, it wasn't just Isaiah that wrote it. All parts of Isaiah are referenced from Jesus and, and the disciples and saying, you know, Isaiah wrote that. They're, they're quoting Isaiah when they quote Isaiah. People try to say, oh, it couldn't have been written that far back because so much of it is prophecy, they, they shouldn't have been able to know those things back then, but you know, it was God speaking through Isaiah. 
And it's a book that until the mid-1900s, the oldest copy we had of Isaiah was like 1100 A.D., right? It didn't date back to this time. But then they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now people would claim, oh, it must have changed over time because that's the oldest we have, right? We go back to Isaiah. Well, they compared the Dead Sea Scrolls. One of the greatest treasures in those scrolls was a full copy of the book of Isaiah. And if you go see a display, you're going to see Isaiah, the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's what they put on display. And it's a testimony of how God directed the Jews to copy, the scribes to copy, make copies and carry forward the scriptures, the ancient scriptures. You know, computer programming, we have checksums. A checksum is to make sure that what got downloaded from the internet or copied to a file didn't have anything wrong in it, right? There's no bit or byte that's changed. And so you run a checksum on it, and if the checksum checks out, we know the integrity of what's there is good. Well, they did checksums. They would count how many times a letter shows up you know, the scribe copying the whole book of Isaiah, they get done. All right, copy. You know, how many times does this letter show up? Count them through the whole thing. If it's off by one, throw it away. Start over. Right? They had checksums long before computers. Well, what did they find when they got the Dead Sea Scrolls that are a thousand years older than what we had had? It's the same. The book of Isaiah is incredible. It's God's Word, written 700 years before Jesus, before John the Baptist, prophesying of that time. So Jesus did look back at the book of Isaiah, the beginning of His ministry. He said, here's who I am. Look, um, let's look in the book of Luke. That's where you find the Christmas story. Christmas story did not come from peanuts. Luke chapter 4. Um, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry went back to Nazareth, right? Went to the synagogue. He stood up to speak and they gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Look in Luke chapter 4, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place. They didn't have chapters and verses. He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. There it is. John the Baptist wasn't here when he was doing this in Nazareth, but boy, he knew the the, I, the prophet Isaiah, he knew this. And when Jesus said, I, l- look at what's happening. Good news is being preached to the poor. That points back to here. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Yes, John the Baptist, I am the one that the prophet spoke about. What you see is not not that conquering king. That's going to come later. This is what you see. This is who I am. 
And you know, Jesus stopped short. That last part, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he's stopping in the middle of a sentence. He didn't continue. Why? Because what follows in that sentence, and the day of vengeance of our God. That wasn't happening yet. That's going to come later. Jesus is going to come. And he will be declaring the day of vengeance where there will be a separation of the righteous and the wicked. And there will be judgment. But no, what is he declaring here? It's the year of the Lord's favor. Blessing. An era of blessing. What is that blessing? That's the last part that he tells John's disciples. Look back in Matthew chapter 11, verse 8. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Who's not offended by me. What's that talking about? That word for offended can also mean to fall away. It's the same word used when Jesus is about to go to the cross and he tells his disciples, you all are going to fall away. And he, he quotes the prophecy that says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Jesus says, all of you are going to fall away. That's that same word to be a, that's translated here to be offended, to fall away, to leave Christ, to say, no, I, I'm not going to stand with him. It's the same idea of what we already covered earlier where Jesus was saying, whoever will, will confess me before men, I will confess before the Father, right? Those who are not offended by him, will be blessed. See, Jesus' coming was prophesied in Isaiah that he would be a stumbling block of offense to the Jews. He's a stumbling block to the Jews. Before Jesus, they were the people of God. They had the oracles of God. They had the law, and they were following it. They saw themselves as righteous compared to the rest of the world, but what they didn't see was that their heart was far from God, and when God sent his son, Jesus... Suddenly, it was revealed what their heart really was. They rejected his son. He became the stumbling block to the Jews that showed their desperate state. But to the one who's not offended by him, he's blessed. And that's the era we are in right now, continue to be in. To every nation, whoever is not offended by Christ is blessed. John didn't see it. He was expecting the coming reigning king. He didn't see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit yet. But there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that would come after Jesus went to the cross. And there was the wrath of God coming. Justice of God was about to be poured out, but it wasn't going to be on the evil of the world. 
what was about to happen, the perfect plan of God that John didn't understand yet, but it was perfectly in fitting with Scripture, was that Jesus would go to the cross and all of those who were enemies of God, who were evil, who were deserving of the judgment of God, of the vengeance of God that will come later, Instead of the vengeance of God being served on mankind, being served on us who are not a part of the promise, who are not a part of the Jews, right? We're not the promised people. We're the Gentiles. We're outside of that. But God's plan was His perfect plan. What He was accomplishing was that the sin of the world would be placed on the shoulders of His Son, and His Son would go to the cross and the wrath of God would be poured out not on mankind, but on His Son for our sin, so that everyone, through faith in Jesus Christ, could be saved and not have to face the vengeance and wrath of God that would come later. That was God's perfect plan. But we see what's going on, and we say, this doesn't seem right, God. The, in my family, in the world, are you really at work, Jesus? Are you the one? Should I be looking for someone else? His plan is perfect. And we need to answer that question that John asked, should we look for another? Here's a simple answer. There is no other. There's the second point. Jesus is the one. There is no other. What concerns you? I know everybody's got concerns right now. You can't have gone through the last two years and not have concerns. It's about our country. It's about our community. It's about the school system. What are your chief concerns? There's things maybe you haven't even sat down long enough to really just think, what is it that weighs on me? And related to COVID, there's, there is the, the virus itself. There is all of the different effects that have come out of that. Which part of that weighs on you? What, what, maybe it's in our governing authorities, the, the direction of our country, the direction of our communities, the, the direction of our schools. You, it should be, you know, I, I know within this room there has to be a variety of views on, on where things should go. But those are things that weigh on you. What, what about just within your families, within marriages? What are you going to be concerned about this next week in, in your workplace? It's incredible how many things weigh on us and what we're looking for. You know, we, we all are kind of looking for saviors in different ways. Whether, whether it's through the means of the next election, and we're looking for a savior, aren't we? Or maybe from... Medical field, developments, surely they're going to come up with a thing that's going to save us out of whatever is your perspective. I'm, I'm looking for that thing that's going to save me out of this. What, what <laughs> you look at someone like Elon Musk, who's now the richest man in the world, right? Kind of bounces back and forth. Now he's... His vision 
is of salvation in his mind, in a godless way. He, he's thinking, why do I have SpaceX? It's because we need to be an interplanetary species because this rock that we live on isn't going to last forever. And so I am going to save the world by getting us to, to Mars. That's genuinely his mindset. That's his, his vision behind SpaceX. Right? To, and <laughs> Neuralink, what's that about? His vision behind that is to save mankind from artificial intelligence, to be able to have augmented abilities. That, that's his vision. It's a saving, savior type of mentality. And people, they worry about those things. Artificial intelligence, what is that? I don't understand it. People are talking to Alexa as if it's a real person. And those are things that actually weigh on people, or just things changing so fast. And, and where are we looking for the person who is at work, who is acting, who I can look for, for hope and salvation? Is it someone who's going to come up with this, this rocket? Is it a military? Is it the direction of the military? We look in so many ways for a savior, a, a, a saving personality, person, thing. Jesus is the one and there is no other. Why? Last point. Because he is God. Any of those personalities, Buddha, Muhammad, Elon Musk, pick any of the presidents that we've had since the beginning of the United States. Has any of those walked up to a blind man and said, oh, let me restore your sight? Who has, who has raised the dead? Who's gone to the one who is unclean and an outcast and, and said, let me enter into your space, put my hands on you and make you clean. None of them. None of them are the one. None of them can truly bring about salvation like Jesus can because Jesus is God. All of them die because they're mortal men. Only Jesus. Three days, the third day, rose from the grave. Proving, that's how Paul writes Romans. It's one of the greatest theological deep books on what we have through Jesus Christ and salvation. It begins with Jesus Christ risen from the dead as proof that he is the son of God with power. That's how you start. He is the one. He is the one who has power to save. In any of the areas of life that you have concerns, do you think that he is not in control, that he doesn't have a plan and a purpose? Maybe in my mind I know, yes, he's in control, but, but in my heart I'm like, boy, Jesus, you're not acting here. I got to do something. I got to look another place for that, that saving entity who is going to take care of this. And I'm not looking to Jesus. By Him, all things were created. 
And that includes the institution of governments. That includes the positioning of leaders. He has his hand on the world. All things created by him and for him. Is that the perspective that we have as we look at the world around us? We don't need to look anywhere else. We can look to God because of Jesus. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. The fullness of God in Jesus, in His face. We can approach God because of Jesus. Because of the saving work on the cross. An unholy people, a sinful people can approach holy and magnificent almighty God. Why are we looking anywhere else? We can do that because of Jesus. We can have the power of God at work in our lives. Power of God at work in our church, in our community, in our world. It is at work. Jesus has already overcome death and everyone who follows him who believes in him, who receives him, doesn't need to fear death. That's perhaps one of the greatest fears gripping the world. If I'm not afraid of death, why do I need to be afraid of anything related to COVID? I'm not afraid to die. It's going to be better. So what do we need to do? We need to be on our knees in prayer to the one who is at work. God Almighty. As we have concerns, don't look other places. None of those other saviors, saving entities, compares to Jesus. He is the one. There is no other. He is the Son of God. And every person who is not offended by Him, meaning every person who would receive Him, who would believe in Him, who would stand and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my hope is in Him and no other, will be blessed. Who else? If I say my allegiance is with Elon Musk, am I going to be blessed by that in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in every part of my life? No. If I, if I stand with, with Muhammad and Islam and say that is going to be my standard, am I going to be blessed in my life, in my marriage? No, there's brokenness that follows that. With Buddha, with, it, with any other character that is now a dead person. So anything that I have to gain in blessedness in my life by, by confessing them, no, but when I confess Jesus and invite whatever animosity and suffering and persecution that might come because I stand with Jesus in a world that hates Jesus, only through Him does that bring about blessing. Only Jesus. There is no other. 
I confess, I don't always look to your son when I'm concerned. I don't always look and trust that your hand is at work and what you're doing is best. I don't always go back and look at your word to understand and say, no, this is what you already said would happen. This is, this is how it's going to go and, and I'm going to care for you. You'll find refuge in me. Don't look anywhere else. God, I confess that I, I don't always do that. God, there's such joy and rest and hope in you. God, I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to live gripped by the same things that grip the world. But God, I want to live fearful only of you. Dread, what dread is in my heart, let it only be for the almighty God and not for anything else that's in this world. Because in you, God, in you, Lord Jesus, is life and rest and peace and blessing. Let our lives be worshipped to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Only through your mercy that 
offering of worship to my King. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. And Jesus, may you receive the honor that's your due. Oh Lord, I bring an offering. No one on earth deserves the praises that I see. Jesus, may you receive the honor that's your due. Oh Lord, I bring an offering to you. Oh Lord, I Bring an offering to you. I bring an offering to you. Oh Lord, I bring an offering to you. I bring an offering. Of worship to my King. Sing it out, church. No one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. Jesus, may you receive the honor that's your due. Oh Lord, I bring an offering to you. Lord Jesus, we want you to receive the honor that you are due. And the offering we bring, God, is our lives, our trust, our faith, believing you. When you say, don't worry, I got this. <laughs> There's nothing happening in the world that I don't see already before you even understand it. God, help us to trust you with everything, to honor you with our lives, to bring you the offering that you are due. Lord Jesus, it is so good to be able to call you our King, our Savior, our Lord. Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Almighty God. Let our lives honor who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you, church.